All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am joined by Alan Sterk, a contributor to the Falcoholic. We're going to be talking about this week 14 matchup between the Falcons and Panthers, as well as answering some of your listener questions. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP. Still going strong on Twitter, at Falcfans, giving you weekly content over at the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons, and the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons is brought to you by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. It's the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Just visit onlocationexp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl On Location. So, guys, as we get into today's Locked on Falcons, and I want to say before we do that to thank you for making Locked on Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, Locked on Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple Odyssey, Google, and Spotify, as well as free and available now on YouTube. Make sure you check us out so that you can see this handsome face as well as the more handsomer face of our guest, who I will introduce to you guys in a second. But if you've been a longtime listener of the Locked On Falcons podcast, you are familiar with who I'm going to introduce. He's on to bigger and brighter things as the former co-host of the then Falk Fans podcast, which then graduated into the Locked On Falcons podcast. But now he's, you know, he's out here modeling. He's he's walking New York runways. But today he is. Uh, with us to talk about this week 14 matchup as well as some other things. I am, of course, talking about none other than Alan Sterk. Welcome to the show, Alan. Look, it's 2021. Who thought we would be talking about a game between the Falcons and Panthers or Cam Newton was a starting quarterback? Yeah, it seemed like that was a a ship that had sailed many years ago, and uh, we are back at it. And with that being said, let's jump into this game. Um, I know one of the topics that you wanted to approach in this game was sort of how the front seven deals with potentially Cam Newton as well as the running game. Um, I guess, do you expecting to see a lot of Cam on the ground? Do you expect it to be similar sort of to what we saw the last time the Falcons were playing the Panthers where they gashed them for 200 plus yards. We saw Sam Darnold, you know, cooked them several times in that game with scrambles and, and, uh, QB sneaks, you know, uh, such a novel idea, QB sneak. I, I never see it in Atlanta, but every other team seems to run it a bunch. But uh, where where are you at sort of with this matchup in, in the front uh, for the Falcons defense? Because you look at the first matchup, and to me, that was a difference maker. Caroline controlled the clock. They just dominated the line the, in the trenches. And it was just the front seven. Like, I can't remember any notable performances from that first game. Like, to me, they just got completely bullied. And now you have the dynamic with Cam where they could run option, they could do zone read. So it's just, it's a bit concerning that, you know, there hasn't been too many strides made, but who knows? They do have a better, a bit of a better rotation now. I think the addition of Anthony Rush could potentially make a difference. He's someone that, to me, it's flashed a bit. And I think a, a day, uh, here we go. My name's, we're going to try to say this right. A day, Deji, have I said it right? Well, pretty good. It's like 98% there. So. Okay. Okay. Like I thought he had was a standout against the Jaguars against the run. And 
you know, I think there's pieces there, but it's just based on the underwhelming linebacker play and still I just it's hard to trust this team in the trenches against a half decent team. I know Carolina's offense line's pretty just been destroyed over the past few weeks, but it's just I don't know, it's about the worst units, I guess. And just based on that first game, I'm still kinda of scarred from it. And now you had the dementia of Cam Newton. I think it's a huge cause of concern for them because you know, based on you know Joe Brady's dismissal like you i think everyone's fully anticipating caroline's car on the wall 30 35 times yeah um it'll be interesting to see how the falcons fare because we, we as you mentioned we saw them get dominated on the ground and then the following week we saw guys like anthony rush and mike pinnell be a bigger part of the lineup they didn't i think pinnell did play in that carolina game but rush did not um and so we saw them stop the Saints running attack the following week, and we haven't seen the run defense be as good as they were in that game since, but they've been generally better, as I think you've pointed out. And so this is going to be a big challenge for this front to see if they can stop the run because, as we saw the last time Carolina played, um, when they got into some third and long stinks in large part due to some uh, – penalties on their offensive line, some poor struggles there uh, against Miami two weeks ago before their bye week. Uh, they really struggled throwing the football uh, and they've really struggled throwing the football. And so, you know, it's kind of the old school adage of, you know, stopping the run on early downs, getting some third and long situationally. Uh, and maybe we can see Dean Pease dial up a, a little bit more pressure than we've seen in some of these recent games. Although you, you do wonder given the team struggles against mobile quarterbacks throughout the season, whether we're talking about Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts, whether or not um, Dean Pease is going to be as aggressive there. So it's going to be an interesting game plan. Obviously, Carolina presents some challenges for them, but I think you're right. It, it kind of starts up front if they can stop the run. Exactly. And and who knows? Maybe they're going to maybe run a couple of uh, reverses or jet sweeps with DJ Moore because I know I've seen DJ Moore get a couple of carries here and there during the season. So I think, I think this is kind of a, not a statement game for Matt rule, but you know, uh, he's been getting a lot of heat for dismissal of Joe Brady, just of how it was done. So I think he has a bit of a point to prove. Yeah. And uh, we know the history of, you know, when you have new coaches and whatnot, the last time, what was it? 2018 where we faced green Bay when Joe Philbin was the interim coach and we faced uh, Cleveland when, um, Greg Williams was the interim coach after Hugh Jackson got fired. A couple um, just of pretty because, definitive losses in that. Yeah, just just because I, I think if anybody goes into this game thinking, oh, well, they have a new offensive coordinator, we'll take advantage of that. I mean, that's the hope. But given the history of, of this Falcon team against interim coaches, uh, whether that's head coaches or, or offensive coordinators, I, I don't feel necessarily a whole lot better um, that, uh, you know, just because they have a quote-unquote second string play caller uh, is is going to play into the Falcons' favor, given that, you know, as Dean Pease and, and others have pointed out all week long, they're probably not going to change their game plan that much. And it worked really well against this Falcons team, you know, four five weeks ago now. Uh, and we'll just sort of see if, if it does again. It worked against Arizona too. Like it, people forget that they stopped Arizona. And I know Colt McCoy factor on all, but still offensively, they were getting after him. Uh, granted, we'll see how they adjust with Christian McCaffrey because obviously, you know, we we should know that you know he's not going to be playing it, and they're going to have some sort of combination with Chuba Hubbard and uh, Amir Abdullah. Like Amir Abdullah looked like rookie year Amir Abdullah in that first game. He was 
they ran uh i think it was like an option route where he got i think it was Deion jones he got in bed so caroline still has some dangerous play, playmakers you know we all love robbie anderson dj more so there so uh i think the defense still has its hands full and I just, I don't know, the Falcons defense, they coming off this past game, they didn't really offer much to be optimistic about, even though it was against arguably the top three offense in the league. Yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. So um, we will continue this conversation about this week 14 matchup between the Falcons and Panthers here with Alan Sterk flipping sides and, and talking a little bit more about the Falcons offensive line. Alan talking about the defense not impressing last week against Tampa Bay. Well, we know the offensive line did not do their job uh, last week against Tampa Bay, and we'll get more into that and what we expect to see from this team uh, up front against uh, another formidable pass rush in Carolina coming up on today's Locked on Falcons. Now, I'm sure many of you guys had aspirations and dreams of seeing your beloved Atlanta Falcons play in the Super Bowl this year, Uh, but while that's not Completely out of the realm of possibilities, those chances are dwindling by the day. But that doesn't mean that your chances of checking out Super Bowl 56 at SoFi, which is less than 100 days away, are dwindling. Because On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL, is the only place to score a -a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences featuring exclusive pre-game celebration with NFL legends, five-star LA hotels, and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. That's onlocationexp.com slash SB56 or search Super Bowl on location for more info. This holiday season, why not grab a protein bar that tastes just like a candy? In fact, tastes even better than a candy bar. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Built Bars, the best tasting protein bar in the market. They're rich with decadent flavor covered in chocolate, but they're healthy too. Low in sugar, calories, carbs, and fat, but high in protein and fiber. You get the best of both worlds, both delicious and healthy. There's so many flavors to choose from. I always have a hard time choosing old favorites like double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter, brownie, or my personal favorite like coconut almond Built Bars rolling out Brand new flavors. They got a limited time flavor like eggnog or caramel macchiato. Always check out the website at built.com to see what new flavors they have rolling out every single day this holiday season. Built Bar is going to give you that extra fuel you need to endure those endless shopping lines or battle those shoppers for the next great deal. Just head over to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So, guys, we are continuing Locked on Falcons here with my guest, Alan Sterk, the illustrious Alan Sterk. And we're talking about this week 14 matchup between the Falcons and Panthers. And we just talked about the defense and the challenges ahead for them. Obviously, we know there's going to be challenges for the offensive line going into this Carolina game. We've seen the last couple of years where Carolina, it hasn't been that they've dominated the game but the pressure that they've been able to create has led to Matt Ryan not necessarily playing at a high level as efficiently as you would like to see. And that is going to need to change. But obviously, you know, the less pressure Matt Ryan sees, the better his chances of of doing that. So, Alan, where where are sort of the challenges for you when you look at this uh, Falcons matchup in the trenches on the offensive side of the ball? I think it's very concerning how the interior has looked bit shaky. I know against Tampa Bay, their talent level with Sue and Vay is going to cause problems, but it's just, I see it every week where they're just late on picking up twists or, you know, delayed blitzes like Hennessy gets 
caught up a lot in when it comes to double teaming on either side. And next thing you know, someone's going to free up the A gap. Or, of course, Mayfield, given his struggles, he just gets overpowered at times. So I look at the interior, and given Carolina's talent, you also have to look at it. It's Reddick and Burns. Like, I was shocked. Like, I saw Reddick's had another monster year. And, you know, it just seemed like not too long ago he was like a journeyman. Now he's beating people off the edge. And, you know, given McGarry with his uh, slow feet and short arms, you know, that's definitely another cause for concern. Like we, we kind of know how much the offensive line struggled this year, but I would say between, you know, Hennessy's late pickups, Mayfield getting overpowered and Mayfield notably struggling against quick speed rushers. I think there's a lot of concerns in this one. Yeah. You know, the the thing with McGarry, I thought he did a, a really good job in that previous matchup, but like, the, the issue with Caleb McGarry is the inconsistency where we've seen games like going up against the Saints in the past, where we've seen games where Cameron Jordan didn't have a, a huge impact on the game. But then the, the next time they've played the Saints or whatever, he would have like four sacks or, or something ridiculous. And that's going to be the concern right now for for Caleb McGarry. I thought in that week eight matchup coming off of the heels of that Dolphins game where McGarry missed and Jason Spriggs started like pretty much every snap in that Dolphins game, they gave uh, Jason Spriggs help. Right. He had a tight end. He had someone chipping for him. They didn't really do that for Caleb McGarry in that week eight game. Um, and it paid off for them because Burns and, and Reddick didn't really have a huge impact in that game. They made a couple of plays as, as they are want to do, but mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily them dominating like we kind of thought. It was really, as you say, the interior it was Daquan Jones and Derek Brown really giving the Falcons problems and the blitzes that they were bringing up through the A gap that really gave the Falcons problems in that game. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, obviously, if if you can count on Caleb McGarry to do that again, then that does make your job a little bit easier. And then I guess you're only worrying about the interior and maybe you can uh, shore up things there. But uh, if if you see sort of the typical Caleb McGarry let down game against premium competition, that's only going to exasperate those issues. Because, again, you know, when no, not to pick on this guy, but, you know, I think Jalen Mayfield at this point in time is, is beyond help at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, Obviously, hopefully he can. You know, make me eat those words, but at this point in time, it just seems like, it, you know, it's kind of like you just know that he's not going to play at a high level, and and sort of if you if that's the only problem you have up front, then I, I guess that's something that you can you can live with. But mm-hmm. um, if now you're starting talking about Hennessy, you're talking about the edge rushers, you're talking about the twists and the stunts and all those various things, then it, then it does definitely create major issues for the Falcons. I don't want to put the total onus on the offensive lineup because I think Carolina's secondary matches up real well with Atlanta's skill position players. Like we saw Gilmore do a fantastic job on Kyle Pitts in the first matchup, and that was Gilmore's debut. He's been playing pretty consistently since then. So uh, you wonder, you know, how they're going to scheme these players up. Like I know Gabe just come off a big game. Just as we know, Atlanta's receiving corpses is about as underwhelming as it gets. So you know, there's going to be times where like Matt Ryan doesn't hesitate to hold the ball as great as his pocket awareness may be and is been excellent this year. I've been blown away by Matt Ryan's pocket awareness. Uh, it's just Phil Snow doesn't hesitate. Like he's, I think, one of the more aggressive blitzes in his league. Maybe not on like a Dennis Allen level, but he brings it. And I don't think anyone's fearing what Atlanta brings in the passing game. So I could see him bringing up that pressure heavily, whether it's double A gap or maybe a corner off the, you know, weak side, whoever it may be. I think they better be prepared. Do you think the key for the Falcons offense is going to be running the football so that they avoid those sort of situations where, you know, they're, they're relying on their passing game, they're relying on their protection? Is this a, a game where they need Mike Davis and, and Cordero Patterson and, and whoever else is, you know, part of this endless rotation of, of running backs needs to have a, a big week? We've seen the run game get off, you know, you know, 
out of the, the cellar the last couple of games. Does that need to happen again this week? It has to be because I think the last two weeks, and I, I have a piece come out about it, it, there's been some legitimate progress there. I know things kind of fell flat in the second half against Tampa Bay, but you know we've seen Patterson and Davis get loose. And I just think that's Arthur Smith's identity. He talks about it every week. He's vocal about how they need – it's not about establishing it, just like bringing the identity. He wants to create more openings, maybe create – not smash them necessarily, but at least tag teams on the outside because we know what Patterson's skill set with his vision, his ability to get yards after contact like – you know, it's important to get him out in space. And then Davis, you hope he can run in between the tackles. So with that, Tam, you know, you want to see them at least put Matt Ryan as maybe favorable situations as possible because you know, I thought in that first matchup there were way too many third and eights, third and tens, and that's where they got eaten alive. Um, do you have anything else to add about this game? Because I had uh, Locked On Panthers host Julian Council on yesterday, and he basically said he didn't have really any expectations on this game. It could be anything could happen on Sunday. Do you sort of have expectations? It sounds like you seem to think it's going to go similar to what it did last time with a sort of a low-scoring game type of performance. Is is that where your head's at? Yeah, like, I think it's just a battle of two, I don't know if discombobulated words, or it's just two teams that just – they're soul searching right now. It's just two teams that don't really know what direction they're in. They're just trying to see who's in there long term. But you know, based on Carolina, like you know, as we all love Cam Newton, but Cam Newton, he's coming off a game where he has five and twenty-one and got benched. Like it wouldn't be a total shocker if Cam starts throwing up a couple of ducks and things get in all of a frenzy. But you know, I think that's if one of the biggest keys, if you want to look at it, is like Atlanta needs to win that turnover battle, get a couple of turnovers, and try to control time possession. I think this is the type of game where both teams are going to want to control the clock. And, you know, ultimately I think whoever does that probably wins it just based on both teams inability to generate huge explosive passing plays. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, if it's a close game going into the fourth quarter, given that the Falcons have won a number of those games this season, uh, which is a welcome change uh, from previous years, where it always seemed like anytime it was close going in the fourth quarter, you knew it was, how it was going to end. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, maybe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think they'll have a chance late in this game. And just like they kind of did last time, they just weren't able to pull it off. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, thanks to some untimely turnovers. Um, and in that first game, like other than Tajay Sharp, I can't recall a receiver anyone doing anything. Like, Tajay Sharp was like the one player in the passing game. And then Patterson, yeah. I think, took a check down into the end zone. But besides that, yeah. it, it was about as inept as a game gets for a team's aerial attack. Yep, pretty much. Pretty much. That's that's the Falcons offense for you. 2021, <laughs> baby. Um, uh, well, that, I guess, will do it for us on the Week 14 preview. We got more to come. We got some listener questions. Someone has a question about sort of the Falcons offensive line, giving up some pressure last week and sort of what that means. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Falcons future beyond this 2021 season in terms of some of the big contracts and what maybe some of the priorities in the offseason will wind up being in terms of potentially restructuring those contracts, extending those guys, or doing their best to get out of those contracts sooner versus later. So we'll get into all of that as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But before we do, I know that uh, you guys make Locked on Falcons your first listen each and every day, and I always have recommendations for what your second listen should be. And, of course, you should check out any of the local Atlanta-slash-Georgia shows. Of course, that's Locked on Braves, Locked on Hawks, Locked on Bulldogs. 
You can find them all on the same platforms. You can find Locked On Falcons, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify. And of course, Locked On Braves and Locked On Bulldogs are also free and available on YouTube. So make sure you go subscribe to those channels the minute you stop watching here. This illustrious Locked On Falcons show. Shout out, Brad Roller. There you go. So we're in the holiday season and maybe you're like me. You're constantly struggling to find that perfect gift for friends and loved ones. I know every year, me and my family, we do a white elephant gift exchange and I'm always struggling to find that perfect gift. Well, I think my struggles are now over now that I've discovered Stance Apparel founded in 2009. Stance Apparel represents a radical reinvention of socks, underwear and active apparel with a sharp focus on comfort, quality and creativity. Stance brings you an atypical aesthetic alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborators for the ultimate in style and self-expression because everything you wear should be a direct extension of who you are and how you feel. Stance has everything from socks, t-shirts, hoodies, shorts, underwear, hats, beanies, and even stylish face masks that you might want to grab this holiday season before Omicron comes for us all. Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in those that feel good, do good. So go see for yourself, head over to stance.com and you can get 15% off your first purchase by using the promo code locked on that's stance.com S T A N C E.com. And that promo code locked on at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. So guys, we are continuing today's Locked on Falcons here with Alan Sturrock wrapping things up, getting to some uh, questions that I did not get to on Wednesday's Q&A All-22 review. I really wanted to focus a lot on the Falcons coverages and pass rush or lack thereof in that Tampa Bay game um, and, uh, you know, talk a, a little bit about the schematic differences between Dean Pease and Raheem Morris. And that didn't leave a, a, a lot of time to answer all the great questions that you guys sent in. So I figured, you know, I could bring Alan on here uh, to answer some of these questions and basically he had his choice of some of the more um t- the the topics that he thought were you know i guess he was most opinionated about so uh we'll we'll get into the first one it comes from james long at james long gsu i wonder if that's georgia state or georgia southern i probably just pissed off half the state of georgia by uh, being confused by that but he is his question is the 38 percent pressure rating that you were talking about on Tuesday's episode, does that include a run-heavy first half or at least first quarter when the Bucks were more wary to pressure on passing plays due to the success of the early run? Would that pressure rating go up significantly without the first half passes taken into account? So, Alan, where, where do you stand on that? I actually was curious about your response because I'm fascinated by this question. I'm just, I'm, I was actually like wanting to see what you said first before going. Okay. Well, uh, the 38%, it, it's not referring to like the, the Bucks. Um, blitzing or anything. It's just basically all the, all the passing snaps that the Falcons had, passing mm-hmm. the situations, dropbacks that Matt Ryan had, the Bucks were able to get pressure on about 38% of those. So it does take into account the first half passes, even when the Bucks were, uh, were the, when the Falcons were run heavy. But I think what you may be alluding to, James, is that if we're not just like the way that PFF's data is treating every play as even, but the thing that's notable about the, the Tampa game was that in the fourth quarter, and I mentioned this, I think, on Tuesday's episode, that when the Falcons got behind going into the fourth quarter down 10 points and got into pass-heavy mode on that drive that we all vilify for Arthur Smith's choice of um, play call on that third and two and then punting on fourth and, and 12, that drive where the Falcons were getting a straight drop-back passing game, 
the Bucs were basically able to get pressure on every single snap. So once they were able to get in a situation where they were able to pin their ears back, they were able to get basically, I don't know if it was a hundred percent, but like 80% pressure at that point in time. So if, if you're alluding to the 38%, not being a fair and accurate portrait of how much pressure the Bucs were able to get later in the game when the situation had changed. Yeah. You're, you're kind of in the right place. Because they were running a lot more empty sets in the second half, and you just look at the personnel. It's like, okay, Tampa Bay is going to have success, especially given that you know I don't think Todd Bowles had much respect for the offense. He's just like, we're just going to bring pressure everywhere, and like Joe Tyron in particular, like they were utilizing him in a variety of different ways, and he was whooping Mayfield a couple of times. So it's not surprising to see those totals so high, and I guess that's just when you know when you're down against a team that good that knows as a plethora of talent up front those tolls are going to be high. You know, it just, it's kind of crazy the, the difference between the first half and the second half, but it's to be expected given the negative game script. Yeah. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, how often the bucks blitz, but it was probably lower than what Todd Bowles is used to doing. Cause typically in past games, we've seen Devin white bring a lot of, of pressure up yeah. the middle and they didn't really have to do that just because of how much Sue and Veo and and others were really kicking the tail of the Falcons' interior even line. We, you know, we we talk about Jalen Mayfield. We know that we know Drew Dolman struggled in the first half mm-hmm. of that game when he was in, and Chris Lindstrom had the worst game of his season uh, against this front. Where we we've seen Lindstrom in the handful of games that he's had where he's been struggled. It's been against mm-hmm. bigger, more powerful players like Akeem Hicks last year, Chris Jones last year, and then of course Indomitian and Sue and Vita Vea also fit into that category. So. Um, they didn't really have to bring the blitz because they could get reliable pressure with Ford just on the interior guys alone. Hey, I will say this though: on that touch to run by Davis, hell of a block by Lindstrom. You know, you had a rough game pass blocking, but that that I thought with that rushing touchdown, he was the focal point of why that that happened. Along with Hennessy. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about Chris Lindstrom. Even when he has a bad game, he still kind of plays well. You know, you still mm-hmm. see those uh, good good blocks like that. Um, it's just, it's just been so rare to see him struggle to the degree that he did in that game. But certainly, you know, that's, that's a testament to Indomitian Sue, who's, you know, I don't know where you stand on it, but certainly in the conversation for the hall of fame, wouldn't you agree, Alan? Yeah, he's put up quite the resume because I thought he was done about two, three years ago, but it seemed like going to Tampa Bay has been like a rebirth for him. And he's still someone I could just completely annihilate someone like he just possesses that power like you see it he just throws people around so yeah no doubt about it i don't know his resume over a decade now you got to tip your cap to it yeah and we know vita vea is is certainly the exception to the rule when when it comes to those big you know physical nose tackles and and and, and certainly the guy that you know a lot of people are looking at you know a certain guy in in, at university of georgia and thinking he's going to be like that guy in the NFL, and we'll just sort of yeah. see I, I do want to mention this because, given the dynamic, because back when Vita Vey got drafted, a certain Mike Smith was the real reason why he got picked. Like, he was pushing for him. So I wonder if Mike Smith is watching the game like, hmm, that was like my last great move in the NFL. Literally, <laughs> everyone wanted me to pick Durbin James. And now, granted, Durbin James probably would be more valuable, but there's no denying. Like, I don't think there's been a nose tackle this day. Dominus Snacks Harrison, but then again, Snacks Harrison was never that great of a pass rusher to me. Like Vita Vea makes things happen as a pass rusher. So to me, I think Vita Vea could even surpass Damon Harrison. Yeah, we, when we talk about dominant pass or nose tackles over the last decades, it's Poe, it's Snacks, 
and it's Vea, right? Those yeah. those are the three guys. And and unfortunately for Poe, his back issues mm-hmm. prevented him from, you know, basically being that dominant player once yeah. he left Kansas City. Yeah. Like um, put, playing together a real body of work. Like to me, Harrison, what do you have? Three, four all pro seasons. Vea's had you know, second or maybe even third at this point. You know, Poe, as great as he was, he was kind of not flesh and pan, but just you, you know who the best are when they put that together three yeah. seasons. That you know, that real body of work that you're just like, man, this guy's truly one of the premier players in the past decade. Yeah. So uh, high bar for you know Jordan Davis to to have to hit uh, if and when he becomes uh, uh, an NFL player. I know you're just looking forward to that draft talk where you you just roll up all those Georgia fans. You know you like to piss off 45 percent of your fan base. It's uh, what I do here, you know. And and now being on YouTube, it's even better because I can just get in the comments and 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 give the heat right back. Uh, so. We will leave that question there and we'll get to our last question. It comes from Jeremy at Jeremy 95281709. He says, Aaron, in your professional opinion, do you think regardless of how the season ends, do you think we should try to trade or somehow get out of these big contract players that we currently have to make room for younger players, free agency and in the draft, or should we hold on to them at least one more year? So Alan, in your professional opinion, what do you thought? Oh man, we're professionals. Look at that. Uh, this might be a bit controversial, but I'm starting to ponder the possibility of trading Jake Matthews. Okay. See, now for me, when I look at the big contracts, there's five players, right? That we're we're talking about. We're talking about Matt Ryan, Grady Jarrett, Jake Matthews, Deion Jones, and Calvin Ridley, right? Yes. Um, I feel like Matt Ryan and Jake Matthews are are basically just going to get restructured next year, and then basically be given one more year in 2022 and, and beyond that you know the falcons will have the flexibility if they just restructure those guys to get out of those contracts in 2023 if, if things don't go right for them in 2022 um to me the big question is going to be what happens with grady Jarrett, Deion jones and calvin ridley now I, i'm leaning that Deion jones is probably going to get traded i've been saying this since march that if he doesn't have a big year in 2021 and he's not having a big year in 2021 that the chances are that pretty high that the Falcons are probably going to wind up trading him. Um, you know, could argue it's been his worst year, right? Yeah. You can argue that. (laughs) I wouldn't argue against it. Obviously Calvin Ridley's situation is, is up in the air. Um, they could certainly trade him. I would, I'm assuming that he'll be back uh, until we get word that, you know, something else changes. Unlike everybody else. I, I, I'm assuming that he has not played his last down in Atlanta I mean, Grady Jarrett's the, the real toss-up because, like, if you're in a situation with the, the, the Falcons are in, um, if you're all in on trying to make this team the best team it can be in 2022 to win the play, postseason and and prevent this team from, you know, getting completely blown up in 2023, if they don't do a, a good job there, then you extend Grady Jarrett, but that's going to be, you know, you're, you're talking 20-plus million dollars easily on, on an extension. Um, but if you're really more about a long-term rebuild, as we keep hearing mixed messages from fans and, and media and coaches and whatnot, then it does kind of make sense to trade Grady Jarrett you know, if, if that's really what you're in it for. Because, um, you know, as much as I love Grady Jarrett, as much as I want him to be a Falcon for life, unless you're prepared to, to fork out the big money, and and continue to put this team in a situation, you know, from a salary cap standpoint where they have these big ma- monster contracts on on the books, it kind of makes sense to if if that's the the, the goal to to sort of 
move on from Grady Jarrett, get some draft capital alongside a potential Deion Jones Grady. Or, you know, I, I'm I'm imagining they can probably get a top fifty pick for Grady Jarrett, maybe a first round pick for Grady Jarrett. Um, I'm imagining maybe like a third round pick for for Deion Jones or whatever the case may be. So, if if you're really in this for the long term, then it seems like that's potentially one path that they can go. But I, I have no idea what the Falcons are going to do. Right? It just I don't want to call it ruthless, but it's just go trade Julio and Grady Jarrett two back to back. It's like man, that fan base. It just has to throw their hands in the air. Like, can we just like get something? Like, because you're just talking about two of the biggest fan favorites, besides, of course, the almighty Cordell Patterson. But uh, it's you look at that contract and you just look how the defense is playing. It's like that. I, you could see why they kind of want to go maybe in that direction. Because look, maybe Jared statistically not having the finest year, but he's still disruptive and still something that you can rely on that makes a difference. It's just a matter of has he peaked already? And you have to look at your team long-term at this point because it is a true rebuilding job. Regardless of what Terry Fontenot says, this is a team that desperately just needs to gather picks and start hitting on them and just getting a strong new young nucleus in because it's just a weird roster right now. So, like, I would lean towards it, but I don't know. I'm ho- the, the, There's a part of me that wants to hold out hope that it doesn't happen just because, look, he is kind of like the heart and soul. But you know, these are tough decisions that the front office has to make. Like this is part of what's like being in that position. Well, I mean, it it is a situation where you talk about them trading Julio, and you know, I when we're talking about these five players, whether it's twenty twenty, you know, in the case of Grady Jarrett and Dion Jones or in Calvin Ridley, it's possible that this year is their final year in Atlanta. And I I, I think at this current trajectory, unless the twenty twenty two Falcons can really make a big jump. I, I think there's a high probability that th- that year will also be the last year of Matt Ryan and, and, and Jake Matthews here in Atlanta. So um, it's, it, you know, changes talking about fan favorites, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where I think if, if they are rebuilding, you know, these, these moves are, are coming. I don't think there's going to be, what is it? Um, sacred cows. There was a word that Thomas Dimitrov used to say that, when it, there's no something, something, but I, I can't uh, remember what it was. Uh, I just, I wonder uh, what Smith thinks of Ridley and Matthews. Cause I don't know if them two in particular are like ideal fits for what he wants to build. Like, I don't know. How, I, I think Matthews is a left tackle. I don't know if he's like the ideal player for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand it. Like Matthews is certainly not bringing it as a run blocker, but I don't think you can question his pass protection. I mean, no, he's, he's been very efficient there. Absolutely. Yeah, he's just uh, – and when when you're having the problems that the Falcons are having from a pass protection standpoint, you know, getting rid of, of, of that guy who is Oof. basically the only reason why your left side is not like the worst left side of, of, of any team in the NFL, um, it, it feels like a, a, a tall order. But uh, sure. you, and then, could, do you, do oh, you expect ta- tackle to be a priority for them? There's so many priorities. Uh, I could see it, yeah. Because I don't know, I just man, I see McGarry as a guard going forward. I just don't see McGarry as a long term solution at tackle. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know if McGarry's going to be a, a long term solution so, at guard. But you know, uh, we'll look, we're, we're trying to make things happen here because you know, when you when you have that first round pick label, you're going to get a lot of opportunities, as we all know. Like that first round label creates so much for you. Like you have a, probably f- an extra two, three years more than you probably should have just based on being a first round pick. And we can insert plenty of names that fit that label. 
Yeah, you know, this is this is a Lock on Falcons is the proud sponsor of, of Caleb McGarry Island. Uh, the only place. yeah, this is your guy. Yeah. He's not really my guy, but I just, I just feel like he gets more heat than he deserves. But you know how I am. I yeah. I only get fired up when fans overrate a player or underrate a player. You know, True. it's just I think the issue with him also is that I think he kind of he makes mistakes in critical moments. I feel like when he makes mistakes, it's very glaring or he gets whooped. Like he doesn't get just kind of beat. He just gets completely beat at the line of scrimmage and it's just like, oh, you're again. But, uh, and I just want to mention really because we we were talking about this in what late September about how they were kind of utilizing him a lot on in breaking routes and digs. And I just wonder, does Arthur Smith kind of want a bigger wide receiver to be the number one in his offense? Like, does he look at really like I don't know if he's really the, the answer for me here because he can't do certain things because it's it's clear that you know there are times this year he just couldn't make plays in traffic or he just couldn't handle you know taking that punishment across the field and now look I know some of those hits were just soul crushing like they those were big hits but it's just you look at the way Arthur Smith structuring his offense this is what he wants and I'm not sure really could fulfill that so that's why I kind of wonder about really and Matthews because. You know, I think Arthur Smith's pretty dead on about what he wants to build with his identity. And I don't think, you know, of course you got to be flexible, but at the same time, we're talking about huge positions here. We're talking about number one wide receiver. We're talking about left tackle. And he knows this is like a long-term project. This isn't something that's going to be fixed within a year or two. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, all I, all that, when you were saying that, all that popped in my head is back in January when he talked about how he was going to adapt his his offense to the players that are here, and you know, it, like he's, he's done that. And so, <laughs> oh, is the conversation, you know, this upcoming January going to be like, well, he, he needs a specific type yeah. of player to make his offense work, and and it's just like a, it's a pretty far place. Uh, to the one eighty twelve months. I'm very impressed. You remember that quote? I mean, like that's all he said every time he uh, did a, a, a press conference. And people asked him, like, you know, how. How would you, you know, adapt? You had Derrick Henry, you had this guy or that guy uh, in Tennessee. How would you adapt that to Atlanta? And he was like, well, you know, those guys aren't going to be here. I'm going to adapt to the players that we did. He, that was basically his his one talking point that he had for like three months to start the offseason. So I, I remember it well. Uh, it's just, you know, now we're here. Yeah, Coy hasn't fulfilled it. But, you know, we haven't really talked about Matt Ryan. I just feel like Matt Ryan is such a big talking point at this point. It's like, it is what it is. Like, I don't know. It's just, you have that conversation like every week at this point. And I don't know. I, I'm at the point where I like, I genuinely feel bad for Matt Ryan. Like, you watch him. Like, he really is playing his heart out. Like, I'm still blown up. Like, I don't think there's been a year where I've been this impressed by Matt Ryan's pocket presence. Like, the way he's evaded pressure, it's, it's like, wow. Imagine if he was 26 doing this. Okay. I can't imagine that because I, I saw him when he did it when he was 26. So, yeah. I don't remember him being that good, though, when it came to, like, recognizing pressure and evading defensive linemen. Like, he, to me, he just looks more elusive as he gets older, which I know is a bizarre thing to say. But I think maybe it just comes down to obviously being more instinctual, but could be just having a stronger understanding of the game. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. He, he has gotten much better creating off-structure plays and off-platform plays you know basically since 2016 he's been much better at that uh than he was early in his career um but i don't think he's as good at that today in 2021 as he was in like 16 and 17 and 18 in that but uh you you still see it we you know was it last week or 
where he stepped up in the pocket and hit that Russell Gage for like a 20 yard throw. Yeah, or it was like a, or whatever. it was like third and 14. Yeah. It's this, this past game. And like, you just watched that saints game when they beat the saints, he made about four plays. It was just like, Matt Ryan's really doing this thing. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe you could go to Pittsburgh and do something there. I don't know why they just came to mind. <laughs> okay. We'll see. We'll see. So uh, that I guess will do it for us. Alan, let the people know uh, where they can check you out and what you're up to nowadays. Uh, you find me on Twitter, Alan Stark. That's A L L E N S T R K. I got a piece out talking about the Falcons running game and how it's made some strides in the past two weeks, but you know, obviously it's only two games, so not going full fanfare here. Like we're not thinking, okay, this team is going to build a running game like the Browns, but you know, at least they're making strides. And you know, I give a little love to Mike Davis, who I think is starting to you know make a couple plays here and there. Because to me, Mike Davis, the best thing he's doing this year is picking up blitzes. Like to me, Mike Davis is phenomenal when it comes to picking up blocks. Uh, but yeah, I'm working on that. And then podcasts are doing my buddy Nick Day's Veterans Minimum, uh, the Blue Wire Network, where I think. You, know, you have a couple people there you might know that's doing shows there. So between podcasting and writing, I'm fairly busy. And, you know, that's the best thing this kind of year, especially given that, you know, I'm still adjusting to like, you know, we got 18 weeks. Like it's still kind of weird that there's still a month left of football and still adjusting to, wow, teams are on by this week. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. Um, you know, it's not weird. Checking out the Lockdown Bets podcast where handicapping at Lee Sterling giving you his daily picks, his blowout specials, and his lock of the day. Lee has been killing it this season. So go check out Locked on Bet on whatever podcast platform you prefer, whether it's Apple, Odyssey, Google, or Spotify. And that will do it for us, guys. Uh, if you want to send in questions for future Q&As, uh, and, and maybe we'll have Alan or other guests come on the show uh, to discuss them, of course, you could hit uh, the show up at Locked on Falcons on Facebook or Twitter. Of course, you can send an email to LockedOnFalcons at mail.com. Or, of course, you can leave a comment here on Locked on Falcons YouTube channel. Guys, I appreciate you for tuning in. We'll be back, of course, on Sunday with a rapid reaction to whatever happens in this Panthers game. Uh, hopefully, we'll have good vibes because, again, it's going to be tough with these five games left for the Falcons to rack up some wins. I didn't ask you, Alan, about playoffs. Yeah, whether you thought the Falcons were going to make the playoffs. I, I could probably guess what your answer is on that, but uh, obviously this is kind of a must-win game, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the stretch is kind of favorable. Like, you look at this game, you look at San Fran, Detroit, New Orleans, like there are winnable games here. Like it's not like all doom and gloom. It's just they got to play a lot better. So yeah, uh, I know that's kind of a basic thing to say, but like the opportunity's there. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's there. It's just a matter of, Defense has to like get up the field on third down, and passing game has to like generate something. So that's all I would say. And you know, we, we've done. I think this might be the first podcast we haven't had any random player mentions. Are we gonna like shout out any? Like, do you, do you have anybody in mind that you want to throw out at the, here at the end? Oh, we got Falcons Panthers. So I don't know if he's that random of a name because he's still playing. But one of my favorite Falcons Panthers moments was when. 11 when Corey Peters had the one-handed interception. So you know what? He's playing Monday night. He's playing for arguably the best team in the NFC, at least record-wise. I mean, Tampa, Green Bay, probably back to the fur. But uh, shout-out Corey Peters. I've never forgiven Thomas Dimitra for letting not paying Corey Peters and instead paying Paul Solia, your boy, and dirty money Tyson Jackson. Wait, weren't the other players involved in this? Yeah, I'm just saying that all season they 
spent all that money on, on those two uh, guys and then basically gave Corey Peters like a veteran minimum contract because right. he's coming he, off the Achilles tear. You know what I'm thinking of right now? I'm thinking of Vance Walker and I was thinking like, uh, here we go, more yeah. random names. I was thinking of Vance Walker and like Shaman Tomsumitra for having to extend the first rounder, Pierre and Jerry, and total first round bias. There you go. Well, you got your random uh, Falcon players. On brand, uh, baby. Yeah, so we we will see what the Falcons do on Sunday. Maybe we'll be back here on on Sunday evening talking rapid reaction stuff, being like, hey, the Falcons shut down the run. They were able to run the ball. They checked all the boxes that Alan and I were talking about today, and there will actually be some positivity and say maybe, maybe, maybe this team might make the playoffs. So we'll see what happens Sunday evening. appreciate you guys for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Till then.